The Forum at 8 on SAFM. So that was the former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan's moment with Madiba. What is your moment with Madiba? What is your Mandela story that you've been waiting to tell? Jade Gigi Lovedell has a great one. She said she didn't wash her hand for a week after shaking his hand. Uh, she met us in 92 when they were known as guinea pigs, she says, uh, when she went to a white school that had just integrated with black students. It was a tough time for us, but Tata landed at the school in his he- helicopter to address us about the value of what they were doing. Diane Parrish Woodcock has a great story and a great picture, I'm sure. Diane, you should definitely send us this picture. Uh, back in 1997 at the V&A waterfront, uh, Diane says uh, she was asked by Mandela to hold her three-month-old baby baby girl, a picture to treasure. Diane, we'd like to treasure it too. So tweet us that picture if you can. Email it to us, send it to us via our website. This is how you can do it. If you'd like to tweet us, AM Live on SAFM. You can also tweet us at SABC News, at SABC News Online. There's literally hundreds of ways to get through that uh, that picture to us. You can also call us on 0891 Tell us about that experience. SMS 34701 or go to our website today which is going to be a repository for all of the information that you want to share with us today. There's undocumented and untold stories like I say. Go to our website sabc.co.za forward slash news and click on the icon My Mandela, My Mandela Memories and share us uh, those pictures. You can also do so on Facebook as well. So we'd love to hear from you today. Now, we're going to talk to three individuals today who all have a Madiba story, and uh, they're going to be sharing it with you today. How well did they know Mandela? Well, I'm sure you know them very well, but they're going to be telling us about their experiences of Mandela. The first one, uh, well, one of them knew for him for 12 years on Robben Island as a political prisoner. The other knew him while uh, she was a 17-year-old girl and she made scones for him uh, while he sat for meetings with her father at her home. And I'm sure you may be able to guess who those two guests are. I'll wait uh, a moment and introduce them a bit later on. But let me introduce my first guest. She hasn't told many stories of Madiba, and uh, I'm sure she's got a treasure trove to share with you. Uh, She joins us on the line, I believe from the Eastern Cape, if I'm not mistaken, uh, near former president's uh, ancestral home in Munu. Good morning to Brigelia Bum, Dr. Brigelia Bum. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, may I address you as as Mama Brigelia, is that okay? Yes, whatever is quick and convenient. Sure, I am Mama. <laughs> Mama, I, I, am I right to say that you're in the Eastern Cape today in Unu? Yes, I am. I'm at the Eastern Cape. I'm at my own home, yeah. Uh, you're at your own home. So h- how are you yes. doing this morning, Mama Brigalia? No, I'm doing fine. The weather, the weather has been, you know, it's so very typical. They mm. say when the great ones go, even the clouds mourn. The clouds are very dark and it's wet. Uh, but it's a, it, it, it's a very sober mood around here. Well, my condolences to you on, on the loss of a great friend. And, and as you said, the heavens have opened to almost emulate our, our feelings this morning. And I'm, I'm told that you told my producers that you hardly share your, your stories of Madiba. Why is that? Well, I've shared some of the stories, of course. But, you know, there are so very many stories like everyone else in their lives. You know, uh, you can't share and remember everything, but some things uh, stand out in your mind. Some of them are a little amusing, and I was thinking this morning of the little scoldings I have had uh, from Madiba also, <laughs> besides the other wonderful things that he, 
he did for us when we were managing elections in, in South Africa, uh, especially that the, the first 14 years were very critical years for us after our constitution had been passed. The legislation was very broad, and uh, so we had difficult moments also, but some great moments. One I can quickly remember now yes. is when we lost a case um, as the Electoral Commission from the Constitutional Court on the prisoners, uh, because they said that the prisoners have a right to vote. You understand our constitution. Mm. And there was desperation, and uh, they didn't know, uh, everybody, we also didn't know as the Electoral Commission that we could cope um, with this kind of responsibility at such short notice. With all the constraints, you know, of our law, which say that every South African citizen who wishes to vote first and foremost must have an ID. And then there was a big question that you must register and be in the voters' role. And how on earth do you register these hundreds and hundreds of people who are in all our main prisons? And this was a time of Tension and the concern was great from President Mandela and from President Tamambeki, all of them, wanting to make sure that we have no choice, of course, to honor the, the difficult decision, which, you know, the, the Constitutional Court has a final word. And I remember those moments of tension, uh, their concerns as governments, and, and the difficult task of reaching out everybody for registration, and there were problems, and my problems, and uh, Madiba was was very supportive to the Electoral Commission and wanted to know how on earth we were going to reach out with the Home Affairs, all these prisoners in this country. At that time, we couldn't get the statistics. How many of these prisoners, how many people are we talking about, except that we know that they are in every province. And there were moments when we were all very tense, and uh, and Madeira would say, "It has to be done." And she said, "It has to be done. We we have no choice. We have to follow the constitution. It's the final law." And of course, you can't say to him, "No, sir, it cannot be done." And then he will want, uh, because of all the concern, where, where where will you begin first? Where do you start? How many of these uh, uh, prisons do we have? How many of these prisoners will the Home Affairs be able um, to get to give to get around the country within such a short time to distribute to everybody? And will you, you know, I was amazed at the concern, but it was also very encouraging that someone like him, of course, he wanted us to honor the law. He himself had been a prisoner, and so was very sympathetic to these people who were confined to this very uh, unpleasant surroundings uh, for all kinds of reasons. But at the same time, he wanted us to perform our job well and be sure that we follow it. Mm, you... I tell those stories and many more others. And one time, the same Madiba, that's a great story I wanted to tell. Please do. We had, had uh, the, the, the organization of the prisoners, uh, the union of the prisoners, I don't remember the name now. Maybe you remember it. No, I don't. Um, and they had, uh, yes, they were occupying a floor 
at the building that belonged to the South African Council of Churches. They hadn't paid rent. I must say that it was very difficult for them, you know, as this union to be able to pay the rent. So finally, after a year, we had given them a lot of notices and many notices. And finally, we said they must leave the, the premises. And the leader of the group went and reported me to Masdiba. And then I get this call from the state house that Masdiba would like to see me. But I didn't know when I went thinking that I had been reported on this. I wondered why, why he would want to see me anyway. You know, you're always anxious. If the head of state is summoning <laughs> you, it's naturally yes. you panic. And I couldn't think, what on earth did I do wrong? What is it that I was doing? And then I landed here, and the first thing, he's very gentle with me and said, oh, I just want to speak on behalf of... Uh, these uh, poor gentlemen. So he is now a great mediator between them and us that we must please keep them. And what was even more amusing and more embarrassing, he says, I'm going to try and see whether I could get money for them to pay the rent. And I am now pleading with you that uh, at least to give them another four months, and during the four months, I will see whether I can find the money and pay the South African Council of Churches. Now, the more he said this, the more I was getting embarrassed (laughs) and embarrassed. Of course, how could I say to him, please make sure that I get the money for SACC within the next four months? Please say, can you do that for me? And at the end, we took them back, of course. We had no choice. And I don't remember ever that rent being paid. <laughs> <laughs> a difficult man to say no to is uh, Nelson Mandela. And, and you called him Ubuti, right? So I, I want to chat to you a little bit more about that phone call that he made to you to ask you to become the chairperson of the IEC. Again, a very difficult man to say no. So how did you respond? We'll, we'll chat to Brigelia Bum about that. Mama Brigelia Bum joining me on the line. Oh, that was a great, great phone call. Uh, we had, uh, of course, had problems at that time, uh, a little crisis because uh, President uh, Judge Krichler resigned a little bit unexpectedly. Mm. Um, prior to that, we had had problems, of course, of our own um, on things related to the budget. We had had issues over the IDs for every South African and the difficulties of getting everybody to have the same ID. So there were a number of issues that we were facing. I was then deputy, and uh, he had been um, a little bit uneasy in the beginning about this kind of leadership, though he knew I could do the work. But of all the dynamics that are related to elections, and just Krikla had done outstanding work in this nation in managing elections within a very short time and I'm in four months that they were able to arrange the elections of 1994 a job that uh, I think no country could ever do the kind of work they did because of the shortness of time and also working to an environment that was very alien to managing elections in that style and manner for so many people and so it was a difficult, very difficult time for us in the organization. 
uh, we were to still do many registrations still in the country. We were struggling with issues of demarcation all over the country. So I'm creating a a story to you that Mm -hmm. this invitation or a command or a request, whatever it was, on that day it came, you know, at a very difficult time for the organization in terms of the challenges that we were facing. And Madiba, I phone and I'm driving and it's a bit noisy and, uh, you know, the engine hustling as hustling and hustling, and then I get this call, and I couldn't hear properly. And I said, uh, whom am I speaking to? Uh, I don't think I was very uh, <laughs> sweet about it, but I was not rude, definitely. I wanted to know. I said, and he says, Nelson, Nelson Mandela. And then at that point, I have to slow down. I have to slow down, and I have to slow down. And he says, um, I want to tell you that in 10 minutes' time, I will be announcing to the nation, this was midday, I'll be announcing to the nation that I'm appointing you as the chairperson of the Electoral Commission of South Africa. And now, what I don't, I didn't know what, what to say, whether I should thank him, whether I should say, oh, how on earth am I going to cope? And while I was still trying to think so that I could say something uh, you know, in a respectful manner and say it correctly, mm-hmm. I couldn't find the right words, I couldn't find the right phrases, he said goodbye, uh, goodbye, <laughs> and good luck. So that was the end of the conversation. Not even giving you a chance to say no or even think about it. Brigadier Bob, thank you so much for joining us on the line. She's going to stay with us. And uh, these, of course, are the lesser-known, undocumented, untold stories of Nelson Mandela. A-, a background to these very important moments in building our democracy. Brigadier Bob, explaining some of these moments that we talk about. We don't know the circumstances that she was in the car driving and that initially maybe she was a bit short and curt with uh, Nelson Mandela, but then realized the politeness of the man and the stature of him required her to have a certain sense of decorum. So, Brigelia Bum, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm going to have two more guests joining you shortly, and I know that you know them very well, so do stay tuned to hear more from them. But I, I want to hear from, uh, from, from, from George Bezos now. We do have this clip from him, and, and when many of Nelson Mandela's oldest friends talk about him as a young political activist and a lawyer back in the 1950s, they inevitably highlight his affinity for fine clothes. Uh, veteran human rights advocate George Bezos says Mandela always insisted on wearing the very best clothes he could afford. He regarded himself the same as everyone else. Not very far from here, just a couple of blocks, is the Rand Club. And directly opposite was Alf Kahn, bespoken tailor. And he really made suits for the very rich. <laughs> and this is when I saw Alf Kahn, to whom I had gone, because... You know, although they were rich, they didn't always pay on time. And I went there to get a list of people that we had to send letters of demand to to pay their accounts. And here was Khan on his knee, measuring the length of the trousers for the suit that Mandela was having made. Couldn't have had very much money, but he was so so proud of his appearance that uh, it went to an expensive tailor. You know, I was very pleased with what Khan was doing and very pleased that Nelson was doing this. It was in character. He refused to be viewed as different or inferior.
And that was uh, George Bezos, a good friend of uh, the late Nelson Mandela. If you'd like to SMS us, 34701. I'll read those out shortly. You can also give us a call on 0891 Our producers are currently screening the lines. Tell us your very unique, untold stories about Nelson Mandela, the time he shook your hand, the time he carried your baby, or perhaps you have a photograph, a very unique one that's only been in your family. So... Help us share it with the nation because I think this is part of why we're doing this today, sharing the stories about Nelson Mandela, the untold ones, or perhaps the lesser-known ones. Former President Nelson Mandela was very conscious of, of his appearance, as, as you heard, and, and was regarded as a very snappy dresser. Uh, but one of Mandela's oldest friends, uh, Ahmed Katrada, called him affectionately Kathy, says his preoccupation with his looks sometimes drove him crazy. Katrada met Mandela in 1945, 19 years later, in 1964, both of them were sentenced to life imprisonment for their role in South Africa's liberation struggle. Katrada remembers at least two instances of Mandela's vanity. I can say that one of his characteristics, of course, I suppose most of us suffer from that, is vanity. Now, he is a very striking figure. He's tall, he was well built, you know, muscular, not fat, because he was a gymnast. He was very, very conscious of his exercises and all that. But one of the things he had is a beard. And when he went underground, those of us who were working with him suggested that that beard must go, because he was the most recognizable person. So once he was arrested, we had run a campaign, the Free Mandela campaign, and we had little badges with his photograph on it, Free Mandela. Now, on those photographs, he appeared with his beard. So it was well known all over the show, this man with his beard. And we thought the first thing he had to do is to shave off his beard. He wouldn't. He just refused. So that made our task even more difficult. The only disguise he agreed to is to put on a cap, overalls, and a chauffeur's uh, coat. We had one other instance. While we were in prison, he was obsessed with a brand of hair oil, Pantene. He just had to have Pantene. Now only Mandela can do this. When they said, look, this thing is not manufactured anymore, he insisted you telling lies. You must get me Pantene. He complained to the Commission of Prisons, he complained to visitors, he complained to Helen Susman on one of her visits. These people don't want me to get Pantene. So the prison authorities were now fed up of this, and they told this young warder who is now working full-time on Roman Island, please go to every shop you can and collect Pantene. Which he did. So I don't know how many bottles he got because the thing was, in fact, not manufactured anymore. There's Pentine shampoo, but not Pentine hair oil. So they got him that Pentine. <laughs> that was one of Nelson Mandela's closest friends and comrades, Ahmed Kathy Katrade, who was speaking to Joe Richmond of Radio Diaries in the USA, and the interview edited by Shabani Erasmus, Danny Boyson, and Angie Kaplianis. I'm joined on the line by Mama Brigelia Bam. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, ma'am. I, I guess, you know, listening to this, it paints a picture of a, of a very powerful figure of Nelson Mandela, muscular, fit, very well-dressed, as we heard, an intelligent and well-read man, as we hear as well, very kind and, and charming woman must have been drawn to him. It, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> when, when we were students, uh, the first time I met uh, him, I had heard about him because he was a, a friend to my eldest sister who was then at Palapanad Hospital, my sister Jane Bam. 
And we went to visit Mandela. I've told the story many times in this prestigious office. And for us as students, it was quite exciting to go to the offices of the Black Royals, Mr. Tambo and Mr. Mandela. And uh, Winnie had asked me and another friend of ours, Masha Singa, who became a Dinelana. We were the three young women. We were all in our 20s and uh, we were visiting this office. And Winnie actually was going to pay a courtesy to Mr. Tambo because they both come from Bizana. So she asked us to accompany her, and it was something special to find these offices. And uh, Johannesburg for us, we were uh, girls coming from the rural area, we were coming from the Chastai, and already Johannesburg, you know, being this big city, and uh, we were trying to cope with the urban life and coping with our studies and everything else. And on this day, we go to this office, and we are received very well at the reception desk, and Mr. Campbell who was a very formal person, comes uh, to meet us and uh, he now can connect our names. He connects my name with my brother sitting at farm. He had met him at St. Peter's College and uh, he had also been in the same mission school and as myself, he was there prior to me, Holy Cross Mission. So there is a little bit of a conversation, gets to know when he talks about when his family and so on. And then, who walks in, he is very tall, and uh, he just said, it was the fashion then, you know how he does his hair, this beautiful partition on his head. Mm-hmm. He walks in, and you know he's tall and uh, attractive. Of course, he's very senior to us, so we, wouldn't, we couldn't exactly, we couldn't exactly have had courage. Uh, to make eyes at him. And in uh, those days, it wasn't anyway the, <laughs> the right thing to do for young women to make eyes at tall, handsome men. So we were very courteous. And he, of course, typical like him, started the conversation immediately who we were and made very quick connections with our families, you know, in the Tanskai or in knew of my father and so on. And of course, you know, Winnie coming from and all that. And that was the beginning of the person we got to know. Believe it or not, after that, he would come and visit us to check how we were doing with our studies. He would come to the girls' hostel. And in the same hostel, Mrs. Adelaide Campbell, who was then a single person, she had not been married, and he would sit with us in the evenings uh, to talk about our studies. And he would talk about uh, Johannesburg, how challenging it is to us. And he would really be very protective. Now, I must say that uh, Mr. Tambo, who really was the person we had visited, never really came to visit us at the hostel. He never even followed up on uh, checking us in the same manner as Matiba did. But Matiba was very caring, actually, and his mood was also protective to us as young women coming to the city and wanted us to do our studies well, which we did. We were we excelled as students. And then from there, of course, I saw him a few times after that, and uh, then I moved on to... To, to, to qualify as a social worker, but I remember the, the, the trial 
when we would all as young women go to uh to listen mm-hmm. to court and it was something and Mama Brigadier. He, I remember the day he came wearing the traditional when is that photo is always there when he wore his traditional clothes. I, I hope you have a chance to share that photo with us, uh, Mama Brigadier Bum. Thank you so much for joining us this half hour. Really appreciate some of the stories that you've had to share. Just after eight thirty news headlines now let's uh, get those with Babashini Chatty. Some of you have been sending us your SMSs. Thank you so much for doing so. 34701. Uh, Pandelani saying, I shed tears of joy when Tata Mandela was inaugurated president in May 1994. And uh, Sitole says, uh, it was in 91 during the so-called black-on-black violence. Mandela came to Fosleris to, to address us. Since there was no platform for him, we rolled down this big yellow multi-waste containers for him to stand on and addressed us. He climbed there and did his duty. Rest in peace, the beloved readers, uh, Sitole. Let's uh, hear from others very close to Nelson Mandela now. Nobel Peace Laureate Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu recalls a particular time when he went to Madiba's Houghton home for lunch. I came to see him in Houghton <clears throat> to have lunch with him. And at the end of lunch... He walked with me to the door, and then he called out, Driver! Driver! And I just, I realized that he, 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 he thought he was calling my driver. And I told him, no, I, I, I drove myself from Soweto. He didn't say anything. But a few days later, he said to me, Mpela, uh, I, I have found somebody who is prepared to, 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 to give you uh, 5,000 rand uh, a month uh, so that you can get a driver. Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu with his impersonation of Nelson Mandela there. Now, the former president, Nelson Mandela, was famous for twisting people's arms to build either a school or a peace process. His close friend, former American President Bill Clinton, says he always knew when Mandela wanted something from him just by the way he addressed them. I was sitting in the White House minding my own business. America's business, that is. And the phone rang. He was on the phone. His first words were, my president. Now, you know how some people talk in code. And what they say, it's not really what they mean. Whenever he started a conversation, my president, what that meant was, I'm about to ask you to do something you do not want to do. And you will do it anyway. So you might as well say yes before we have an argument. He wanted me to fly to Arusha because he had taken over the Burundi peace process. And he said, you know, there's 20 or 21 parties and I don't have them all. He said, but you will like this because this won't be like it normally is. You know, normally I'm the saint and you're the sinner. He said, he said, this time. You're going to be the good guy. I want you to come and give one of these high-flown emotional speeches you give so well. And then I will get up and just beat the living daylights out of them and make them sign this peace agreement. 
but they will be humiliated not to sign it in front of the American president if you fly all the way to Tanzania. So I did. I did. He did. And they did. That, too, is a part of his legacy. And that was the former American President Bill Clinton. At least he had a chance to respond, though, because uh, Mama Albertina Tuli will also be joining us shortly. Mama Brigalia Bum was just on the line, and, and she said, well, she didn't even have a chance to respond when uh, Nelson Mandela told her, you will be the next chairperson of the IEC, and then simply said, you'll do a good job, and then hung up the phone before she had a chance to even think about how to answer. So at least uh, Bill Clinton, the former American President, had a chance to respond. Let's hear from uh, a journalist now who, uh, I wonder what that interview was like with Nelson Mandela. I never had a chance to meet him, so I'm greatly envious of uh, Buntle Matswatswe, who joins me in studio, producer on PM Live. Buntle, what was that like, that, that moment that you had a one-on-one interview with Nelson Mandela? Very few journalists had that opportunity. Good morning, Dashan, and good morning to the listeners. It was an amazing experience. I was still a journalist in magazines. I worked at Drum Magazine at the time. I don't know how the shoot came about, but it was done. Our boss somehow schmoozed and got us an interview with with the former president. And on the day, the interview was set for 11 in the morning. So the concept of the shoot was that we will have children of very popular South Africans. We had Basizana Kumalo and her child, Anand Singh and, and, and his son and daughter, and um, Amy Kleinhans Kurt with, his, with her daughter, and as well as um, Sean Pollock's daughter there. So we figured, you know, what do you ask that? How... Every story had been covered about him, so we figured, let's make it interesting. Let's make it different. Let's make it about children, because he loved children. And I'm sure surrounded by children of all these great, notable people. I'm sure he was just in his element. Oh, he was in his element. You should have seen him. He was singing Nesri rhymes. I was thinking, oh, my word, are you sure this is President <laughs> Mandela? It was just the most amazing moment. But the interesting part was that, so we got there early, like two hours early. We only had two hours with him, so we got there around 9 o'clock, and the place was buzzing. The excitement was palpable. I think the kids were just oblivious of what was happening, because they were running around, talking about how they're going to tell him what their dream was. Somebody dreamt about a blue fish, and somebody was going to give him a picture. But it was a very exciting time. Did you, get, and you, then, you got to interview him, so what did you ask him? Well, interestingly, we... Before the interview, we we were we were talking with my colleagues. So, what do we ask him? What do we mm. write about that? What story do we cover? What angle do we do we talk about? And then eventually, we like he walked in, and the interesting thing about him is that he acknowledged everybody. We were standing there in a row, shaking hands with him, and he referred to everyone by their name. He would stop and chat to you a little bit. Hello, Bunta. Where are you from? Who are your people? What's your surname? Oh, you look like your name. I was so amazed. I'm like, oh, my word. He called me by my name. (laughs) So we decided, let's make this experience about the children. Let's not make it about the questions, because what would you ask him? So we did the interview from the perspective of the children. And that's how we viewed it. And we asked him, what would you like us to ask you? And he said, ask me anything. I'm all yours for the next two hours. And trust me, everybody was fussing and fixing him. He's like, I'm all yours. Do not worry. And he said that for the two hours, and we talked to him like it was just a general conversation. It wasn't even a, uh, so how was your day? Because what would you ask Nelson Mandela? 
What do you? I, I don't know. I wish I had an opportunity to <laughs> interview him. Frankly, Maswasi, you make me more and more jealous the more you continue talking about this. I just thought you had an interview with him, but you really had an experience with him, and I think oh. that's what a lot of South Africans seem to be Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. But the interesting thing I should share about the the, the time we when we're done now, my boss says to him because I'm not shy at all. My boss says, said to me, um, Bunte, please ask him to take a picture with us. But I was so awestruck. I don't think that I could say anything. So he turned and he says, Bunte, would you like a picture? And I'm like, sure. So everybody just flocked to where he was sitting. He says, come, come sit next to me. And he put his arm around me and he says, sit next to me. It's a picture that I will always cherish. And as we said our thank yous, he said, oh, but thank you guys. You, the media, are the people that made us. So it's time for us to give back as well. It was an amazing experience. Thank you so much for sharing with us your experience. And you can do so as well on the SABC News website, sabc.co.za forward slash news. My Mandela Memories. Just click on the tab there. Share your pictures. I'm going to encourage Bunte to share that picture. I'm curious to see what she looks like uh, back then. Uh, Joining me on the line now is someone who I said baked scones for Madiba during uh, his visits to her home where he had political meetings and uh, party meetings with her father. Uh, well, let's say good morning to Dr. Albertina Lutuli. Good morning. Uh, good morning and uh, good morning to the viewers as well. Now, following on from my interview with Brigadier Obama, I'd, I'd like to address you as Mama Albertina. Is that all right? Yes, that's all right. And, and, and my condolences to you as well. How, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing fine, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, uh, just uh, it's just that we want to see that Baba Mandela leaves us with a legacy that we shall forever treasure, and then we want to see to it that uh, he's led to his resting place in the manner he deserves. So that I'm occupied with that here in my area as well. <laughs> where, where are you this morning, uh, Mama Albertina? I, 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 you know, I, I live in Palito, but I, you know, I interact. My home is Grosville, which is around the corner. Yes. And they situated the Lutuli Museum, which uh, you know carries the the, the, the legacy of uh, my father, Chief Albert Lutuli. And these two men were very much tied, you know, together. When I see. Baba Mandela now, who I call Baba, and really brought him into my life as a father. Uh, I see that uh, there is so much, you know, commonality between them that he just reminds me of my father now. Once the youth, you know, the youth was gone in him. Now he's mature and, uh, you know, he he just reminds me of my own father. And I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, these people who really have laid the roadmap, you know, for for us here as organizations and as the country to move forward. I am hoping that that continuity of purpose and thinking and 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 determinedness that we will do it the way the 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 ANC really, I must say so, uh, showed us the way from one leader to another one. Mm-hmm. Particularly, you know, these last, uh, the latter, the, the latter leaders that I'm aware of myself that work in, in, and I hope that we have that continuity into the future which is, is, is lying before us. Mama Albertina, of course, uh, you said you had Grautville. It's, it's very near the capture site where Nelson Mandela was arrested at, at Howick. The day before he was captured in, in, in 1962, he was at your house. 
meeting with your father. Uh, are, are there some stories from that event that, that perhaps are untold or any untold stories that, that you'd like to share with us? Uh, you know, there's, um, what I do know is what, you know, the, the, you know, the public. But it is, it is the story of that uh, is written in a book by Gulam in the shadow of Lutuli. Mm-hmm. He's revealed there in that book some of the things that, uh, you know, because then the, the study was underground. So you didn't know, you know, unless you were involved in that particular setting in that particular event. So there's a man who, to, who you know, who relates what happened there, and, uh, we, you know, we, he, he, Mr. Gulam, and we know that that is what really is the historical fact around that one, that he did leave uh, Crowdville, you know, I mean, they, they, they met, you know, in the clandestine way, clandestine, inverted commas, uh, in, in the way they, the way they used to, very very secret, and they were in the hands of very 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 loyal and dedicated ANC supporters here around here. So that made it possible for the ANC really and for the core leadership to be able to carry on their work in a coordinated fashion, in spite of the environment created by the bannings and so on, and the government which was sure that it must spy on them, it must do this and that, and make it impossible for them to meet. But they did meet, and this was because of the dedication and loyalty of certain uh, uh, individuals in this area, you know, who saw to mm-hmm. it that the ANC doesn't die. Well, you also now, had to... This, this, this man tells the story that he, you know, he left Crowdville after the clandestine so-called meetings, and uh, they drove by, you know, the inroads, not uh, the main road, mm. to go to, you know, to the, you know, to Deben. And then in Deben there, of course, this was an opportunity also for uh, Baba Mandela to catch in with some rest and also meet some other, you know, uh, individuals in the in in, in 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 the struggle who needed who he needed, you know, to speak, to meet and speak to, and he had some rest, and then proceeded, you know, the, the next morning, and only for them to come to Howick and the you know the, the, that's history. Mama Albertina, thank you very much for joining us. I want to ask about your scones, but but hold on. I, I've got a caller on the line to speak to us as well. Eunice in Joburg has a story to share about his uncle. Eunice, good morning. Yeah, morning, uh, Dashan and your guest. Thank you. Dashan, it's quite apt you have the, Dr. Lutuli on the line, who she was referring to, Gulam, happens to be my Gulam. uncle. Gulam Suleiman yes. is your uncle. Yes, and, uh, you know, they used to have clandestine meetings there, at, uh, well, he was, my uncle was actually a bosom friend of Dr. Lutuli's father, Chief Albert Lutuli. They were very, very close. And I'd like to just share something where Madiba used to come there and they used to have private meetings. Sure. But, you know, just to tell you about the humility of Madiba, many people might not know this. Obviously, it was a secret. When he came out uh, in 1990, you recall the first meeting he had in, at the Kings Park Stadium, the mm. rally there. Yes. He went to Durban. And all the who's who, you know, were wanting to invite him to his house and what have you. And Madiba bypassed protocol, and obviously a lot of people had passed on since he was on Robben Island. And he asked them, find out if a certain person by the name of Gulam Suleiman from that squad Duguza is still living. And obviously via that they found out, and him, Alfred and Zoe, and others spent the night with my uncle. 
So, you know, it had to be a secret at the time because they had MK bodyguards around mm-hmm. the house and whatever at night, and he spent the night with him there. So just to show you the humility of the man. And, uh, yeah, just Eunice. probably Dr. Lutuli could add on if she wants to. Thank you so much for Thanks, that call, Dasha. Eunice. I uh, appreciate uh, you sharing that story with us. Well, they say there's no such thing as coincidence. Uh, Mama Alfatila Lutuli joining us on the line. You were just telling us that story about uh, Gulam Silaman, the reflections of uh, of Ghulam Suleiman in, in the shadow of Chief Albert Lutuli, and there you yes. have, you know, his his nephew calling in. I, I wanted to find out about the scones that you made for these meetings because I, I heard that they were very good. Are you still making these scones? The the scones. The scones. Oh, you 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 just have to come around and <laughs> and, and get a taste of them, and then you can feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I still do actually, you know, but uh, less now because uh, you know those things. At best, when you're still a large family and, you know, there are people and all that, you're coming, you know, and so on, then you enjoy. Then you enjoy it. Now I'm a retired person. I don't have that large company around me to, you know, to do much baking. But uh, still, you give me a ring and then you come and be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the judge. I look forward to that invitation. I'm definitely going to take you up on it. Yes. Ma- yes. Mama Albertina, tell me about when, when Nelson Mandela came to your home to meet with your father. Because I, I spoke to Mama Brigalia earlier on and she talked about him being this, you know, this large, imposing figure tall and handsome, quite charming as well, and, I, and I'm sure the ladies loved him as well. I mean, wh- what were your thoughts about this man who was, you know, very well read, very intelligent, and, and very sweet and charming at the same time? You're talking about uh, Baba Mandela? Baba Mandela, yes. Yes. You know, I mean, he, he, he's, he's already got a face. He's already got that stature which really charms uh, uh, anyone. And uh, he's got it in him. And I think it charms the ladies even more. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you the same story about my father, too. He was charming. And uh, I used to be to attend his rallies at, uh, you know, Freedom Square in Devon, you know, the West Grey uh, Street uh, corner. And, uh, and then I was now, you know, a, 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 a youth. And then I would hear these women, some of the women there, you know, sort of uh, really squirming and and just <laughs> and just pulled over when they see the standing there delivering the message. <laughs> and I would wonder, are they listening to the message or are they trying to steal my, the, my father from my mother? <laughs> well, M- Mandela actually <laughs> used to write. So you know, these things do happen. But Baba Mandela is absolutely. Charming, and you know there is, you know, about these men. You're talking mm. about people who could exude warmth. To uh, and then you just feel that I want to be, you know, to be embraced and embrace this person. People who exude humility and be one with you. It doesn't matter who you are, child. Child, uh, it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the color. It doesn't matter anything, whether you're rich or poor or whatever. People were honored and regarded the same. Yes, it would it would cause pain in them. I do know that. It happens to me as well. When, in fact, they know that this person I'm embracing is deprived of everything that makes towards human dignity.
Mama Albertina, tell me about the letters that Mandela used to write to your mom. You know, they had this communication, and I don't know how you know how it took uh, it took place. But anywhere in this world, uh, there's always some underground system. You know, <laughs> I mean, they survived that way with the with the with the government. But somehow, they were allowed only one letter in six months to whichever member of the family, your wife or your husband, or, you know, or, or, or whoever it is, once in six months. And, uh, and then those letters, of course, used to come with a lot of, uh, you, you know, you could not make much of them because uh, they would have deleted a lot of the stuff there. And you reply back, and it's the same again. A lot of it is deleted, and uh, this was actually a ploy. To you know, to sort of uh, cause conflict between the parties concerned, so that communication. When we say one letter in six months, it really they, they interfered so much with that because they wanted to cause disunity within the families that you know who that existed that were involved in that. But somehow, he kept some way of communicating with Ma you know, whom they called Mama Mapi in Nukal. And um, those letters, they were continuing. Now, I'm saying, I'm stressing this because I don't know how he could have done it within the six months, uh, you know, rules of uh, Robben Island. He was doing it another way. And in that communication, you would find sometimes that he refers even to, you know, to, you know, to us. You know, as children. I know that when I was in Zimbabwe, for instance, at one time, my mother called me, and uh, uh, some 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 big thing had happened there in the country. I won't I, I won't uh, I won't go into that in detail. Mm. But uh, <clears throat> my name was in the newspapers here, and there was some you know some it was quite uh, a, a thing going on. And then my mother called me. I was now in Zimbabwe, and she called me and she said. Uh, 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 M was pleased with uh, what uh, you, you, what you did regarding that matter, you know. And I got it, and I called it. Uh, he was he was referring to that uh, skirmish which was in the newspapers, and he communicated it to her, and she passed it on to me when I was in Zimbabwe. You know, I felt, I really felt very good, but uh, because there was support from whom mm. I regard as Ubaba one inside prison. We are still suffering outside, and you know there are all sorts of uh, things going on. And that gave encouragement mm. from Robben Island to me in Zimbabwe. Mama Albertina Lutudi, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I'll definitely be on my way to grab some scones with you sometime soon. <laughs> Mama Lutudi, thank you so much for your time this morning. And earlier on, we had uh, Mama Brigadia Bam also sharing intimate stories of Nelson Mandela. Booty, as she called her, or uh, Mama Lutudi calling her, calling him Baba Mandela. From you, Mboti Mission at uh, its artist Mgabi writing and says, because former presidents and Nkosi Lutudi were not thieves, I shall have my fingers in the treasury. Mzansi must hold up moral values uh, this SMS unsigned my children are wondering why I break down and cry while I'm listening to the radio
I was 18 years old during our first democratic elections and even saw it happening. Well, thank you so much for writing in your SMSs, Facebook comments. If you'd like to continue with archiving these memories, you can do so on our website, sabc.co.za forward slash news. Click on My Mandela Memories, sabc.co.za. From myself, Darshan Mudley, and the rest of the team, it's been a great pleasure bringing you this show, The Memories of Nelson Mandela, as yet undocumented and now finally told. It's 9 o'clock. Here's your full news bulletin with Vibhakshini Chetty.